Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode seven of DM Discussions, the podcast for players and DMs alike, where we cover a wide variety of topics to help you with your games. I'm your host, Ryan Reeder, and with me, as always, is my good buddy, Ben Bumhofer. How are you doing this evening, Ben? Oh, doing great, Ryan. I am stoked to be here tonight to talk about some Dungeons & Dragons. Just Emphasis on the dragons. Oh, man. See, when you said that we were going to be or focusing on one of the Ds, I totally went a different way, and I was going all dungeon. Crap. Well, oh, no. At least we're not what focusing we, on the and. What do we, what do, we do now? Uh, we improvise, like any good DM. Aha! Excellent. <laughs> uh, yes, dungeons are going to be a topic we cover in the future, but tonight it is all about dragons. So we're going to talk a little bit about dragons. We're going to talk a little bit about lore, um, some dragon stories or ideas from our campaigns or for your campaigns. And we're going to specifically talk and we're going we're gonna to do this uh, over the course of several episodes, maybe not all in a row, but we'll discuss uh, each of the dragons individually. And we're going to be starting with the king of the chromatics tonight, the red dragon. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be fun. I'm excited. Uh, let's, let's jump into it real fast. So a little bit of background. Uh, dragons are just that, uh, that, I guess, primal force, that thing that everyone can recognize. It's just such a powerful creature. It's in the name of the game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a really big deal. And I've always been absolutely fascinated because they're just these super magical, powerful creatures and they can be such a force for good or bad in your campaigns. So for those unfamiliar with dragons, there's two main subcategories of dragons. There is the metallic dragons, which are the more good side of dragons. And then there's the chromatic dragons, which are more the bad side of dragons. And on the, the metallic side, you have copper, brass, gold, silver, and bronze. And then over on the chromatic side, you have red, black, blue, white, and green. And all these different types of dragons have all different sorts of personalities, all different styles of attacks um, and lore. And so we're going to kind of break things down a little bit uh, for you. But Ben, uh, we've been kind of studying up a little bit for this. So a little bit about dragon lore and specifically uh, red dragons, which we're going to go over tonight. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, first and foremost... Uh, until I really started getting into Dungeons and Dragons, I had no idea that there was the whole possibility of good dragons. You know, it, you, you kind of grow up and, you know, hear about, oh, damsels in distress and, you know, kind of like Arthur, Arthurian kind of, uh, you know, legends of heroes going and, and fighting dragons and everything like that. And it just kind of blew my mind. It's like, oh, there's good ones out there. I mean, granted, I didn't, watch you know the last drag or dragon heart or anything i mean but then again you know uh whatever anyways um you know and also the idea of them actually being intelligent creatures and everything as opposed to just you know mindless beasts going around killing everything that they see and stuff i mean there's a lot of lore overall 
just kind of all over the place in, you know, how people view them or, or how they've, they've thrown them in their legends and things like that. Dungeons and Dragons specifically though, you know, intelligent creatures, they, they all have, you know, a overall, like a sense of uh, arrogance to them. Um, you know, some much more so than others as, you know, we'll, we'll come to discuss and kind of, you know, look into and everything. Um, you know, they can all fly. They all like, they all like treasure in some form, even the good ones. And uh, it, it's one of those great things where, you know, if you have some sort of background or know a little bit about what's going on with dragon lore at all, you can at least take, make some good educated guesses before you take a really deep dive into some of this stuff. Exactly. Um, one of the things you mentioned that I want to dive into a little bit, just kind of in general, you, you said dragons love treasure, and that's completely true. Um, a dragon's treasure is called its hoard. And as the dragon ages, it will collect all sorts of different treasure and items um, and store them in some sort of layer. And so that's, there's all sorts of, of really cool things about dragons, but one of the big ones, especially in D&D, uh, 5th edition specifically, um, since that's the, the main version right now, is uh, you have your dragon stat block, and then you have a layer stat block, and then layers have actions they go with it. And so there's crazy too. Oh, I know it's, it's, it's really cool. And so because dragons are these magical creatures, their layer spot actually even affects the environment around the layer, Mm -hmm. depending on the, the type of dragon it is. So it's really cool if you jump into the monster manual and look at some of these things and look at these layer actions and the layer effects, because those type of things can add a really cool element to your campaign and to the stories you tell. Um, and can you can use those things as kind of clues or triggers to kind of clue your, uh, your players into when they are walking or when they're near a dragon's territory, which is really cool. Exactly. Um, and, they're, and dragons are player character slash adventure magnets. Because like <laughs> I said, they have hordes, they have treasure. Characters and players usually want that treasure. And so uh, dragons are always a good story hook. Uh, but there's a lot of really interesting ways you can play them. We'll kind of go over that in a little bit. Um, and there's a lot of different levels of dragons mm-hmm. as well that you can challenge your party with. Down from the, the very bottom, the wormlings, which is like the, the starter stage, uh, for, for the most part, fairly low CR, up through uh, young adult adult and then the ancient dragons which are the pinnacle of power (laughs) and strength and size yeah once we get into those ancients um let's just put it this way try not to throw those at your you know level one or two parties um you know one attack is a tpk maybe (laughs) i mean unless you roll really poorly and they roll really well and like a dodge or something but Um, one of the most intriguing things about dragons is that, you know, because of the different, uh, colors and everything, like actually really dialing in onto their personality can actually add a lot to your storytelling as well. Ryan, like you were saying, um, based on their, their actual, you know, layer and things that are going on around it, if the adventure just kind of randomly shows up in, you know, near a dragon layer and stuff, 
what kind is it? You know, is it something that's going to just instantly attack them? Is is it going to be something that's going to like play with them for a while and, and, you know, try to entice them in or, or, or hunt them and and everything. And this is one of the reasons why I, I think the red dragon is just really cool and really interesting is that it is kind of like top level of the chromatic dragons, like top level, like intelligence, top level, like it, it plots, it thinks it really tries to do stuff. And if you just kind of stumble upon one of them, you're going to have a bad day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And this is this kind of harkens back to when we had our encounter discussion. We were talking about um, different types of monsters, some and playing the monsters to their intelligence. And so it's it's very important when you're playing a dragon to play that dragon to the intelligence of it, of what it is. Red dragons in particular, they're very territorial. Um, they're um, master strategists. They're very vicious, very vengeful. Uh, they believe they are the top dogs, mm-hmm. top of the food chain, and, and most of the time they actually are. Uh, they, they are very, they, they are in, incredibly greedy. Um, and so they will guard their hordes um, with a, you know, with ferocity. Uh, and they, they will be that one or two steps ahead from a strategic standpoint. They're incredibly prideful um, mm. and vain. And so it's, it's really cool because you can take those personality points and use them to develop a character of this dragon uh, and then you can build that up either through story, through mythology, through interactions with the party uh, or interactions with that dragon's followers. Um, their dragons, especially chromatics, make for great big bads mm-hmm. of, of a campaign arc or something like that because they actually do have the power and the followers to affect things on a larger scale than just this little town or this little area. Um, they can, they can affect things on a, a much bigger scale. So they're, they're really cool to to play with and throw as a, a story hook or a, an arc hook. Yeah. Especially red dragons too. I mean, they, they basically gain followers. They want to be worshiped. So, you know, having, you know, spies for the dragon, you know, hunting for your heroes or something, or just have them out trying to find treasure, trying to, to locate other red dragons so that, you know, their boss can be, you know, top dog. Um, it, it, it's, you know, little tiny hooks that you can throw in there here and there um, while you're, you know, developing the big bad. Or who knows, maybe you can use it as like an up and coming red dragon. You know, maybe it's still a young one and it needs to make a name for itself. You know, something like that is going to be probably a lot more ferocious, a lot more vengeful, and it, it's going to go out there more, you know, leave its treasure hoard that obviously isn't gigantic yet because it's not this, you know, super old ancient dragon. It's going to go out and make a name for itself, you know, destroying some cities or something like that. Um, in the, the idea of, you know, growing something or at least having this legend around its name, around it, you know, around its being is one of the biggest things that a red dragon is going for. You know, if they aren't 
you know, if their name doesn't like just spark fear in people's hearts, if, if they aren't known, um, they, they see it as a failure and they will fight and with, you know, tooth and nail to, you know, rise up to the top and, and be this, this almost like terrifying deity in a sense to, you know, their followers, their worshipers. And, you know, they think that highly of themselves too. They're, they're just going to do everything they can to just put themselves at the top of any area that they're in, survey their domain and shut out anything that uh, tries to go up against them. Yeah. And one thing you talked about in there is, is dragons making a name for themselves. And it's really interesting because names for dragons are an incredibly like important thing. Mm -hmm. Like dragons, dragons take names that are memorable and that are um, meaningful. And in a lot of ways, especially for chromatic strike fear into the hearts of their enemies or adventurers or whatever. And so when you come up with this brand new dragon, it's, it's, you really want to think about the name for it and a name that is appropriate. So uh, some of the things I've done before in campaigns, like I have a white dragon name, Felcor, the winter's bane or Visceron, the volcano's heart. Um, or heart of the volcano. And so it's, it's these like very meaningful names uh, for these dragons that they have either named themselves or they have taken because others have called them that. Mm-hmm. And so finding those, those special meaningful names rather than generic red dragon number five is, is Although, really a fun thing for your players and can, can really uh, makes for some good stories. I have heard that red dragon number five is actually a very good scent though. So definitely check that out. But <laughs> I mean, you're right. It's one of those things where you just, just embracing that, that just, you know, it, it could be like a, just a total cliche sounding like, like grr, scary kind of name, but it kind of fits. And if you put it into the world, it's awesome. Like my name is blood fang, the destroyer, you know, it's like, Oh, that's just a cheesy fantasy name. But it kind of weighs a lot more when you attach it to a dragon who's gone through and, you know, destroyed five townships, uh, killed an army on his own and has a gigantic treasure hoard deep inside a volcano somewhere. Yeah. One of the things you can do to make, and this, this doesn't just go for dragons. This goes for big bads in general, that to make it more things more alive to your players is show your players the power of these creatures. Even if it's like a cutscene, or even if it's on the side, or even if it's something that they aren't specifically engaged in, mm-hmm. but something they can hear about or something they can see tangibly, um, it can it can make a really big difference for this instead of like i heard about this dragon blah 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 he's he's really bad guys uh or oh my gosh we just saw this dragon rip this town apart or rip this this army apart or this other adventuring party or uh take over this this keep and now it's it's emanating this like this lot, these lava fields have opened up because this red dragon's presence nearby is heating the environment. And so it's really cool stuff like that. 
uh, can really add to your story a lot. Oh yeah. I, I'm always a fan of, uh, you know, if, if they're just hanging out in a tavern, they're listening in or something, throw out the, the, you know, the movie expedition, expositional uh, TV newscast to let that, you know, the viewer know what's going on in the world around them and stuff, you know, have chatter just, Oh, I heard he's been, he's a hundred years old, a hundred. He's been around for at least four, you know, and, and depending on how old the dragon is, that's how much more powerful they are. That's how much bigger the treasure is, which might be an even bigger hook. And I mean, who knows? Maybe there's legendary items that they need to find that this dragon went and found. You know, it, it hunted down an actual uh, adventuring party who had like this legendary sword and it wanted the sword. So guess what? Kill them, take the swords, part of the horde now. Yeah, yeah. Really cool stuff like that. So I'm going to go Captain America mode, Captain America PSA, flip my chair around. So (laughs) you want to learn how to play a good dragon, specifically in this case, a red dragon. Well, gather around folks, uh, (laughs) red dragons. So as, as we kind of mentioned before, red dragons, very vicious, very territorial, very prideful, usually, uh, very large treasure hordes. And so if they say, okay, I want to, I really want to put a red dragon in my campaign. First off, you gotta, you gotta figure out, okay, is this, is this a wormling? Is this a a young, is this an adult? Is this an ancient? Uh, how long has this been around? Okay, cool. I've, I've got that now. Uh, where's their territory at? Uh, what is their name? And then from there you can kind of use those, details to affect store the story in your game uh regionally or near city or near the adventuring party uh maybe this dragon is up in the mountain somewhere it's it's an adult dragon it's dangerous but it's very far away from your current adventures right now so maybe they only hear about it uh a little bit um one of the things i i've got in my game and i have to i have to really I have to really try hard to not just put dragons everywhere. That is actually <laughs> one of the toughest things because you know I love dragons so much, but at, I want to preserve the the awe and the um, cool encounter rather than it just being super commonplace. Yeah, I mean, you you don't want to have okay, let's go kill another dragon, or you know, have that first dragon kill be something just you know super simple. You know, make it something big, something epic. And, you know, if it's rare, it's going to be that much more powerful when all of a sudden it's like, oh, we got to go up against a dragon. Do you remember what happened last time we tried to fight a dragon? We lost Timmy. He is dead. No, not Timmy. Even bigger. You know, it, it make it hefty and, and, and rare and just terrifying. Yeah, completely agree. Um, so <clears throat> to, be, to be perfectly honest, in most in most of my games, there's a few changes I like to make, and the one one of these is is somewhat considered homebrew, and one of them is actually a uh, like an optional rule from within the just normal normal edition rules. So I think dragons are super awesome; they're super interesting. But personally, I've always found that their base stat blocks are in in the monster manual are a little boring all dragons kind of share a very similar layout as far as things go you've got um claw bite 
tail attacks, maybe a wing attacks, depending on what you got. The the adults and the the ancients have legendary actions that you can use in legendary resistances, uh, which is great. Creatures like that should need that that extra stuff. Um, and then they've got a breath weapon, and the breath weapon differs by dragon type. And with you've got a little more variety in the metallics because the metallics have two different types of breath weapon, usually some sort of status one and then some sort of damaging one where the chromatics usually just have the damaging breath weapon. And then if you get into the older dragons, you also have the, like the frightening presence, which is understandable because it's just like this thing is 20, 30 feet long, tall, it's terrifying and you know, you should be shaking in your boots potentially. Um, yeah, hopefully there is uh, a few things I like to do personally to, to spice dragons up a little bit. They, in the rules, there's actually a, uh, optional rule that you can do that allows for innate spell casting for dragons. And I really like using this. It's based on, uh, I believe it's page like 89, um, in the, uh, I'm going to get it wrong. Monster manual, page 86, page 86 in the monster manual. Ooh, okay. Uh, and so what it allows you to do is basically the dragon gets a number of spells equal to its charisma modifier, uses charisma as the spell casting base, and then you can it can know up a sp- spell levels up to one third of its CR. Oh, okay. So, so like, let's say a, an ancient black dragon is a CR 21. Um, that means it could know spell levels up to like seven or eight level, right? Um, and then it would have, a, it's got its spell save DC of like 19. And because you, you basically can just, figure it just like normal with the, the charisma bonus, the, the proficiency bonus of a, of a creature of CR 21. And um, you can figure it out that out from there. And then it, you can go, okay, cool. What spells would a, would a black dragon have or what spells would a, would a red dragon have? Because in a lot of my, a lot of my thinking is these dragons ha- are inherently magical creatures, mm-hmm. uh, especially adults and ancients have been around for, long long time they probably know some spells like (laughs) yeah maybe the red dragon knows some really cool fire-based spells um and what i really like about this rule is it can really shake up dragon fights a lot because it will throw stuff against players that they're not expecting uh especially if they are fighting the dragons outside the lair because dragons don't get their lair like lair actions can kind of step in a little bit for for that type of thing if they're fighting a dragon in a lair because you've got a few different cool lair actions you can use that kind of shake up the fight a little bit but if you're fighting your dragon outside the lair then it it sometimes helps to have that extra special stuff or that element of the unknown that even though it's technically you know quote-unquote metagaming 
because it's just like, oh yeah, I know. And it's got the the tail attack and the bite and the, the the breath weapon and maybe the frightening presence. And so you know, we're we're prepared, even though the party's never fought a dragon before and not done any research. <laughs> it, but it's it's sometimes very hard to separate that knowledge, right? Yeah. Well, and I mean, so, you look at it, it. It's a giant thing, and with natural weapons of claws and a mouth, you know, what do you expect? Like yeah, you know, they exactly probably figured that out without any sort of intelligence role, without any sort of metagaming play. I mean, it it's just kind of a thing. Yeah, but I I find that optional rule can really spice up dragons a little bit uh, and make them that a little more interesting, a little more dangerous. Exactly. Um, and I mean, even more so, it, it works really well with something that is, you know, maybe less ferocious, you know, something again, more, more calculating, like a red dragon is perfect for this. Whereas uh, if I remember correctly, a white dragon is, you know, almost just pure instinct and, and just much more bestial. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe they don't have any spells because, you know, they never really took the time to, to learn anything or think about it or something. And that right there, other than just, you know, the type of breath weapon is a huge difference in, in how you set up your encounters. And it, it adds that little tiny touch of variety that's, you know, I mean, if you do go just dragon crazy with your campaign, it, it gives it, you know, something different with each, each uh, combat that you do. Exactly. Um, one other thing we talked about is dragons, reds in particular, are very strategic. Um, they've been around a long time. They, they will look in on the, on the player's actions. And this is another, another kind of thing to think about with dragons is very seldom, and this is, this is for most high-level CR creatures, very seldom will fights with dragons take place solo Mm -hmm. very very few creatures of that intellect and that that size ever go all right i'm gonna take on the adventuring party all by myself (laughs) this is gonna go well uh i've got legendary actions right that makes up for my complete lack of action economy i mean no they're They're, they're not idiots they're not idiots they will have followers they will have minions they will have cohorts um that will probably assail the players either during the battle with the dragon or before the battle with the dragon to weaken them. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's one thing to to keep in mind while you're fighting the dragon, the dragons probably, unless it's in a very compact spot, it's the, the battle is probably going to happen on their terms at their, their location of choosing. They're not going to sit on the ground and fight. They're going to be flying around, breathing fire down. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's the it's stuff like that. To think about, um, and come at it from the, this is an intelligent creature and it's going to use every trick and, uh, skill it has to make it harder for the characters to do damage to it. Yeah. Much less they can run away still. Just like you can, they can too. And a flying creature running away from adventurers who are stuck on the ground, it's, it's going to get as far away as it needs to be. And it, this is another way where if you're actually having the combat encounter in its lair, it is an entirely different so, sort of combat because one, it doesn't want you taking its horde. Two, you've got the lair actions going on. It's, you know, potentially it could feel like it's being backed into a corner so it, it's going to be finding probably a bit more ferociously, but compared to just out in the world, it's like, 
okay, cool. You know, if you're in a cavern and stuff, there's a ceiling to that. They might be, you know, not be able to fly up too high, but I mean, again, a dragon smart, it's probably going to find some sort of cavern with, you know, a high ceiling if it's actually enclosed in some way, but still think about those things. Um, I'm, I'm not saying like, you know, give your, uh, <laughs> give your player characters like, Oh, and that dragon horde over there, there's 20 ladders. Everybody get on a ladder to smack. Them. <laughs> I'm not saying that, but you know, also try to be a tiny bit fair with some of that stuff. Cause if you have an all melee group and they want to go fight a dragon, I mean, they should probably bring some sort of ranged with them, but you know, or fly spells or <laughs> exactly yeah, something, you know, at least you know, let them be able to climb the walls and try to jump on it or something, you know, give them that aside from the, the ladder horde. Don't forget about those. Exactly. And one of the cool things too is dragons can be a force, not only just in combat, but out of combat mm-hmm. in a, in a role play sense. One of the things I love doing in my campaigns, and I know several other people do it. So um, metallic dragons have a innate spell called change shape. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what this allows them to do is it allows them to basically polymorph into other creatures. Uh, say if they wanted to be a human or an elf or, or a, a bird or something <laughs> like that, they can do it. They're magical creatures. They can do this. Um, from a base rules guide, chromatic dragons do not have this feature. One of the things I like to do from a homebrew perspective uh, in all my campaigns is I allow dragons that are young and above doesn't matter if they're chromatic or metallic to have this feature yeah. because I find that it, it can, you can use it to introduce very interesting intrigue, uh, political things inside your, your story. All of a sudden there's a red dragon that is in charge of this city. No one knows it, but it is mm-hmm. sating its power hungriness by basically ruling this whole area in the background could be this cruel taskmaster ruler, this, this known human quote unquote, that is, that is known for being this incredibly harsh and warlike leader. It could be a, a green dragon that is this shrewd diplomat that is manipulating things behind the scenes for its own goals and its own ends. So you can do a lot of really, really cool stuff with that. And so that's one of the variants that I, I personally like to use with, with my campaigns is allowing that flexibility for both types uh, to allow for more interesting stories. Yeah, exactly. And whenever you have a villain that can be hiding in plain sight, it adds that level of paranoia as well, because sometimes, you know, you can't exactly have a private conversation when you're in the middle of a tavern, you know, as much as the characters like to, there's always a chance that someone could be listening in. What if the person listening in is the big bad who just happens to be sitting at the next table, you know, dressed up as a, 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 I don't know, a jester or something. Not that they would probably ever stoop to that level, but you know, it's one of those things where it gives you that much more creativity to just kind of play with it, see how it's going, see where you're going with it. And I mean, that makes the reveal so much better too. 
You know, if you're going through and you know, this, this, uh, you know, uh, vizier to the king is just giving really bad information, but you know, some reason the king keeps going along with it. Maybe it's a shapeshifted dragon who has a charm spell on, on the king. I mean, granted, I essentially just stole Aladdin and made Jafar <laughs> a dragon, but you but know, still, you know, same thing, same thing. We've, we've told you guys steal, <laughs> steal like stuff that you find is cool and manipulate it for your own ends. Yeah, exactly. Heck now I want to make a, a, a version of the sheriff of Nottingham, but he's actually a dragon. He's just taxing the entire town and, you know, like kingdom so much just to, to fill up his own hoard. Why not? That That's actually a really good idea. I'm stealing that. Oh, go for it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I've actually, um, the dragons are, so just story time uh, from my personal campaign. So dragons in my campaign are um, not extremely common, but they're, they're very powerful. They're very known. And in my campaign, much like uh, true to lore, red dragons are, are the top dog. In fact, um, in my world, uh, one of the names I mentioned, uh, Visceron, the volcano's heart, she is the top dog dragon period, uh, lives in a volcano, this massive, massive ancient female dragon, much bigger than normal. Uh, she actually controls the population of red dragons by not allowing males out. She only (laughs) allows females out and she keeps the males basically with her to mate when she wants to. But all the red dragons in my world that are outside and in the world are female and larger than normal just because they're spawned from this ancient entity. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's a really interesting thing because all other dragons in my world know about it. Very few people have seen Visceron go about, but usually every few hundred years she comes out, just lays waste to things just to basically let people know that she's top dog. And then, you know, goes dormant. Uh, but there may be other sinister things in play. So one of the first things <clears throat> I think my party was like level, level four ish, three or four. Um, one of the first things they ran into is uh, they were going along the road to, to this next town and I had them roll. Uh, I, I think it's, it's wisdom or con- con saving throw it's for polymorph basically i'm not remembering off the top of my head uh two of them fail and they turn into small woodland creatures (laughs) and they had no idea what it was at the time i didn't provide any explanation at all at the time um but i they were making perception checks and every time they made a perception check i'd basically kind of describe what was around them um, but I always threw in, and I don't think they caught on to this, that there was this, there was a, a squirrel somewhere in, in vision. Uh, so, so a little further down the road, they come across this group of bandits and they've surround this, uh, young woman who looks very unintimidated. Um, but they go in and they're just like, we got to rescue her. And so they go in and during the fight, she takes out just as many people as they do. She's got this big old, <laughs> this big old 
like forged hammer. And so she was heading to the town too. She tells him she's a blacksmith. Um, it's a new hobby she's picked up in the last few years. Uh, and she's got this really intricately made, like kind of, kind of hammer. And so, and, and the is strong and everything. And so they didn't, they didn't question her a lot. They, they, they kind of went with it. Um, and so all along, uh, and it, it eventually ends up in a, a confrontation, but this, this person who, who's named Cassie, uh, is at, was actually a young copper dragon, young adult copper dragon game named, uh, Yindri, the, the trickster. And so she was the one who was actually polymorphing them. <laughs> that's so cool. Just, just for fun. Cause that's what copper dragons do. Yeah. And so it, it turned out, it, it was this whole thing they had. It was, it was super fun. They, I had a, a festival in the town. And so we had a, a whole like session of, or a whole half a session of them just at this festival doing these festival games and, and drinking contests, pie eating contests, uh, arm wrestling thing, which, um, she won handily and it was, it was super, <laughs> super, super funny. Um, so they, they, uh, but they didn't really end up questioning it too much. And at the end of the day, this red dragon wormling who was, ended up being about the same size as a young dragon would have been mm-hmm. attacks this town um, and has kind of subjugated this, this orc horde to its, to its own whims as it's trying to like carve out its own niche uh, because it's, it's now released into the world. And so it turns into this whole big thing where they have to, rescue a lot of the people from the town this crazy urban urban fight um and ends up to where they are fighting this whole orc horde and this red dragon wormling up near its its improvised layer up in the hills outside of town and a whole as as the fight was getting dire a big reveal where Cassie then transforms into her full young dragon self and actually fights the wormling some while the characters, and this is, this is a great way to show the characters too, that, Hey, there's stuff in the world that is more powerful than you, uh, (laughs) which is, which is really, I I think very important to show the characters that, Hey, you're not always going to be top dog. And so it was kind of cool to see this this fight between them while my party worked on the orcs. Mm-hmm. But then after it had taken damage and was starting to retreat into the cave, a party member was the one that landed the killing blow, which was right. which was super cool. So it was it was a very fun story and it incorporated a lot of of what we talked about. I can't wait to run more dragons. That is very cool. Uh, I will say I unfortunately don't have a lot of experience running them yet. Um, partly because in this campaign, uh, I haven't introduced any. Um, there are plans. That's all I'm going to say. Cause I, Soon I, TM. I a couple people listen, but um, I have learned so much more than the one dragon encounter that I did when I like years ago, when I ran a, a, a I want to say release four. That's not it. Fourth edition uh, uh, campaign. And I basically 
it, it was a horrible fight. I, no one had fun with it. And it wasn't because I was actually doing anything cool with the dragon. It was basically, oh, here's a dragon. And this was before I really like, you know, knew what I was doing, DMing and everything. So basically it was all the characters were standing around the dragon and it was just attacking one person and went on for like 13 or 14 rounds because it had such high health and it wasn't fun at all. So yeah, that's not going to happen again. That's right. <laughs> I I have so much more faith in you now. Oh, I do too. So much more. I mean, <laughs> just just my storytelling abilities alone are way better. Uh, but I I'm really looking forward to you know introducing you know some sort of dragon into this, and I've got a bunch of different ideas on how things are going to play out. So I'm excited. I'm excited to hear those stories. Oh, I can't wait. Those, those should be a lot of fun. Um, uh, one other thing, if you're interested in further reading, there is not a fifth edition version of this yet, but um, 3.5 and fourth edition both had uh, books released called the, the Draconomicons. And these are basically lore books about dragons. And while the, stats in the books like the monster stat blocks may not be relevant for for fifth edition a lot of the lore and the information and the ideas are very much relevant if you're looking to um, get more information about running specific types of dragons and you can you can find those uh you can still find those like amazon or or at your potentially at uh uh, a used bookshop or something like that. Uh, they may even have be available in PDFs in some form. Uh, but if you're interested in dragons, those are really, really good resources because there's a lot of really cool information about physiology and lore and much more in-depth uh, personality type stuff than the monster manual has. So I know that I'm going to be looking for some of those because look, it's called Dungeons and Dragons. And dragons are amazing. And they knowing more about it and knowing how to really think like one and get one into your game is, I, I think it's, I mean, we've talked a bunch about them. It's like, it might seem simple, but at the same time to do it, you know, really good justice, um, it's going to take a little bit of research. Yeah. You want it to be memorable. Yes. This is, that's, this is definitely uh, one of your more freebie, potential epic moments mm-hmm. in your game because dragons are just epic. And so you, you've got all the tools you need at your disposal to, to make them that way for your players. Exactly. Uh, so we will be covering some of the other dragons specifically in future episodes because each of them is, is different and really interesting. And there's a, a lot of things you can do. Probably not. This is, this is kind of like our general dragon. So they probably want, probably won't be quite as in depth as this, but there's a lot of really interesting things you can do with the other dragons. So we'll be definitely talking about them as, uh, as the show goes on. So shifting over a little bit from our DM perspective to our player perspective, uh, we wanted to talk about something that we actually ran out of time for last week, uh, and that's intro to spells. Yes. And so spells are are super fun. Like playing a caster is one of my absolute favorite things to do when I'm a player. Uh, and there can be uh, 
it can be a little confusing sometimes uh, with how spells work. There's a ton of them. And there's spell slots. Some classes mm-hmm. have different types of slots. It's, it's weird. So um, Ben, why don't you start us in and give us like intro to spells. Okay. I'm going to start off with just by saying, what if magic? There we go. Spells. What uh, if magic? <laughs> so it, it's one of the neat things about, you know, living in or at least playing in a fantasy world is that, you know, magic is a thing. Uh, assuming you're running a game with magic. I know there's plenty of games out there that don't have it. And, you know, that's your choice to run it that way. Great. Skip this section. But for all those, all those uh, who are, you know, running around as a warlock or a bard or, or, or something, Spells are kind of not exactly an alternative to anything you can do, but a supplement to everything you can do in some sense. Um, you can use it for combat, out of combat, um, different effects. You can, you know, completely like change the flow of combat by doing a single thing, you know, who knows? Um, there's so many different types of magic. There's different levels of spells and uh, we're kind of just going to go into more of a, uh, you know, an intro kind of idea on some of this stuff because it is uh, very important to, you know, know the basics in this before you look at, hey, what level nine spells can I use? I mean, I will say wish is an awesome spell, but baby steps. <laughs> baby steps. Exactly. So um, all spell casting is done with something called spell slots. And spell slots differ based on the type of class you're playing. Um, Warlocks in particular are very weird Mm -hmm. because they have kind of their own version of spell slots. But most of the other caster classes like Druid, Sorcerer, uh, Wizard, Cleric, etc. have very uh, basic spell slots. You have spells levels 1 through 9 not all classes will be able to get all nine levels of spells. It depends if it's a full caster or a quote-unquote half caster, like a, like a ranger mm-hmm. who will get or a paladin uh, that will get some levels, but not not, not all the levels of spells. Um, <clears throat> spell slots, from a lore perspective, basically represent a caster's mental limits. Magic is hard. <laughs> and casting magic is taxing. And so the spell slots basically represent your mental fortitude and magical prowess uh, and the amount of, or the limit you can push yourself to on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and so <clears throat> there's, there's lots of different things. Like I said, levels one through nine are your spells. And then there's also things called cantrips. And we'll talk a little bit more about our favorite cantrips toward the end of this discussion. But cantrips are basically the, this is intro magic. It's easy enough that I can just do this as many times as I want. Usually very utilitarian, usually very low damage, um, but great to have in a pinch. Mm-hmm. And can also be used insanely creatively at times, depending on the ones that you, you might have access to. Exactly. Um, And then you have uh, your spells level one through nine. The different spells will be start at a baseline level of power. So there are level one spells, level two spells, level three spells, of course, usually increasing in power and utility or damage as they go up. 
there's also something called up-leveling. And this is kind of a, a little more advanced thing for spells where I can take a level one spell and use a higher level slot to cast it, thereby increasing its power or its ability to affect more things. On some spells. On some spells. Yes. Um, at least I, I'm pretty sure it's in the rules like this, but you can always use a higher level spell slot than whatever the level spell is. So like, yes, you have a level two spell, but you're at a level two spell slots. You can use a three and still cast it. It might not have an extra added effect unless the description specifically says it though. Yes, but it, it does allow the, the rules do allow for that sort of thing. Yeah. Don't, don't waste a level nine spell slot on a level one spell. If you don't need to, <laughs> that would be, that'd be very silly. Um, warlocks, like we said, are a little bit different. They have, uh, they've only got two slots. Uh, so you, you, you have to kind of be a lot of, a lot of their power comes from their, their eldritch invocations. Yes. Um, and those are different depending on the the subclass. And we're at some point we're going to hit each class in detail, which I'm super excited about because I've actually played most of the classes now but i've not played all of them and i've not played anywhere near all the subclasses um (laughs) and they are still releasing more oh yeah so it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a really fun fun discussion to get in there and to do some research on some of the stuff i haven't played and that's why uh one shots are fun because they can give you the opportunity to kind of play test try out different play styles different classes a little bit that you might not necessarily want to commit to. Exactly. Um, now, if you played a lot of fourth edition, spellcasting and, and spells and everything are very different in fifth edition. If you played any of the other editions, it's a lot more similar to fifth edition than fourth was. Fourth was like, uh, the best way to, to compare it was something like a, you know, an MMO or a video game where you have like certain abilities and they have a cooldown on that ability, which might be for just a round of combat or uh, might be until you know, the next day happens or something. That, that is not how 5th edition works, which at first I balked at that and like really worried. I'm like, okay, how is this even going to work? It took me a little bit to kind of understand what it is. So with 5th edition... You need to, uh, and I think this goes with pretty much every, well, okay. So I know it goes with uh, druids, clerics, um, wizards, and... Sorcerers. I, I, well, I'm wondering, sorcerers, do they have to prep their spells per day? I don't think um, they do. Yeah, sorcerers are, is, and that's, it's like, from a lore perspective, all the different types of magic are different. Like clerics get their spells divinely. Wizards study their spell spellbook and can only prepare a certain amount. Sorcerers, uh, their spell casting ability is innate and kind of in their blood magic. Yeah. And then druid is it's very naturey. So yeah, bard is different as well. Um, so like whereas uh, I know druids and clerics and wizards to a certain extent as well, they have access to every single spell that is in their like their you know pantheon uh as a cleric i have access to every single spell however i only have a certain amount of spells that i can prep per day so this is where i had uh, it took me a long time to get my head wrapped around it first of all if you use dnd beyond you don't have to do any of the math to figure out how many spells you get they just let you go all in and, and figure it out that way they, they super do handy 
Um, but just as an example, um, so do, 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 do. I'm reading directly from the book here. You prepare the list of cleric spells that are available for you to cast choosing from the cleric spell list. When you do so, choose a number of cleric spells equal to your wisdom modifier plus your cleric level. The spells must be a level for which you can have or you have spell slots. So basically, if my modifier was uh, five and I happen to be a fifth level cleric, I have a total of 10 spells that I can learn for the day. I have access to every single spell there is but based on that five, I can divvy it up however I want. Like, let's say I have, actually, I can tell you right now. So at level five, I've got four first level spells, three second level spells, or slots, I mean, and uh, two third level spell slots. So technically that's uh, nine total spells that I can cast, but I can learn 10. So I can do as many level ones as I want to fill up. I can do as many level twos as I want but with the understanding that I can only cast three total. Yeah. And interestingly too. Um, so I don't know if I, if I told you about this or not, but I, I picked up the D and D essentials kit uh, mm-hmm. a little while ago. And this is, this is their new product kind of new starter product um, that takes players from one to six. It's got uh, some, some cool cards in it, a DM screen. It's got some dice it's uh, got some nice rules on how to create characters and it comes with something called sidekicks slash companions. Mm-hmm. And uh, these allow for one-on-one rules and, and play, which is really cool uh, that you can just play with one other person and then give them a NPC companion that they can have with them on their adventures. And that can be a sounding board and can, can talk back and forth with them. Uh, I started playing with my wife recently. We've done two sessions. She's actually really really liked it a lot. Cool. She decided to be a wizard. And one of the big questions she had was um, about casting spells was, do I get, do I only get a cast each spell once? And I was like, Oh yeah, that's, that's a really good question. So uh, I explained her spell slots can be anything you have prepared. You can use those spell slots for anything you have prepared. Mm-hmm. And you can cast it as many times as you have slots. Yeah. The big difference between something like that with a wizard and a cleric or a druid is that, like I said before, clerics and druids, they have access to all their spells all the time. They just need to prepare you know, for the day. Wizards, on the other hand, have to actually spend time and learn their spells. They have to actually transcribe it into a spell book that they have on them. So if for some reason your big bad evil guy takes their spell book, the wizard has nothing they can cast, which is really mean to do, so make sure to do it. Um, but <laughs> the thing is, is they might, you know, in, this is where your DM's going to work with you a whole lot on, you know, what spells you know already when you start the campaign, um, as well as, you know, what you can kind of pick up along the way. You know, do you spend time in the library researching? You know, what spells are you looking for? or Something along those lines. Uh, any spell scrolls that you come across, you can transcribe those into your spell book if you, if, you know, if you have the time and the, the right materials for it and everything. Being a wizard is very expensive as well because like transcribing spells costs a lot of money. You need to have like really good paper, really good ink, fun stuff like that. But the thing is, you can still only prep a certain amount of spells per day. So you can know every single wizard spell there is out there but you're limited to what you actually have set up for the day. Yep. Yep. Very true. Um, okay. That's, 
that's some that's some really cool stuff. Uh, one of the things that I want, really wanted to talk about too, from a spellcaster perspective, is resource management. Mm-hmm. And this is this is definitely one of the things that I see new players struggle with a lot, especially as they're playing spellcaster. Level one slash level two, level three spellcasters don't have a lot of resources. And so you have to be really careful, especially if you're uh, a cleric or you're the, the only person in the party with healing magic that you, you are very careful about your resource management. If you like the rest of your party. Yes. If you like the rest of your party, if not, who cares? They can, they can all die. (laughs) They'll reroll characters. Um, But it's, it it all, it, it, in a lot of ways it depends on your DM and, getting to know them and what they throw at you. Some DMs only throw one encounter at the party a day, if that. Some DMs will throw several encounters at the party in a, in a single day before your long rest. And you don't recover your spell slots. In most cases, warlocks are different. Warlocks are weird. They're basically the exception to every rule that we're talking about today. Yep. Um, and we'll go in depth on them in in a future yeah, episode. <laughs> Once but we understand them, for the for the most part, um, spell slots are recovered after a long rest, and so you have to be very cognizant, especially at lower levels, to preserve spell slots for when you need it, and not just use spells because you can use them. Mm-hmm. Kind of feel out the encounter, feel out the the deadliness. To, to figure out if you need to use those resources or, or if not, that's what your cantrips are for. They allow you to still do damage or utility of some sort without actually wasting spell slots. And cantrips do technically level up with you to an extent, mm-hmm. not amazingly. They're never going to replace full spells, um, but they, they can be good in a pinch. But Ryan... You said we were going to talk about cantrips later. What exactly is a cantrip? So a cantrip, um, and I, I think I mentioned it a little bit, is this is this is your basically intro level basic spell. You don't need to, you, you got it memorized. You don't need to prepare it. It's, it's already always prepared. It's always in your memory. Uh, you're not going to do as much damage as a damage spell. You're not going to have as much utility as a utility spell but it allows you to still be a caster without using up spell slots. Yep. And there's, there's many, dozens of cantrips. As many times as you want. You can cast yep. the same cantrip over and over again, 24 hours a day. Yep. And it's not a big deal because they don't take much in the way of mental toll from a, from a lore perspective. They're just very simple, simple magic. Exactly. Um, so, Make sure to, I, I like to, a lot of classes when you start them out, they'll say, all right, you start out with like two or three or four cantrips. And so a lot of times what I like to do is I like to look through the cantrip list for my class and go, okay, I want something um, that can be used in role play, something that's uh, a non-combat type thing. I want something that can be a utility of some sort, something that can help someone else, buff someone, debuff someone, something like that. And then I want a damage, mm-hmm. something that can allow me to do damage, uh, preferably as a caster from range yes. <laughs> in a pinch <laughs> if I don't want to use a spell slot or I'm out of spell slots. 
Exactly. This way you'll always have something in your back pocket ready to go just in case. And there's nothing worse at all than being on, especially in some sort of uh, combat encounter and being, you know, standing in the back, just, I have nothing, you know, I'm out of spell slots. Oh, well, you know, just use a cantrip. Well, I can cast light because that's what I picked. You know, I'm obviously going to have more than that, but you know, just having something there for those various types of situations is, you know, such a great idea to, to really kind of focus in on. And Ryan, I think that you've nailed it with, you know, some sort of utility, some sort of buff or debuff, and then um, a, a damaging spell. And usually you're going to get more than three um, shortly after, you know, the first couple levels. So, you know, you can start kind of broadening and, and, and expanding your, your cantrip repertoire, you know, as, as soon as like maybe level three or four. Yeah. And yeah, it's, they're, they're really, they're really cool little things. And kind of speaking of, since this is kind of the intro to spells talk, uh, what are your, what are your favorite cantrips and what do you, what do you like to use them for? Well, for the most part, I, the, the caster that I play is a, a cleric and no cleric is worth his weight in, well, I, I play a dwarf, so worth his weight in ale than having a uh, spare the dying prepped and ready all the time. <laughs> I mean, so far in the different combat encounters that I've been in, no one's really taken a whole lot of damage. So I've, you know, haven't really ever cast it. <laughs> but the thing is, is when we get into that part, I've got it set up. I've got it ready. That way, if someone's about to make a death saving throw, I'm all, got you covered. Don't have to worry about it. Spare the dying uh, automatically stabilizes someone and uh, they don't have to make their death saving throws anymore. It's super sweet. Oh yeah. Fantastic super, super to have. Um, one other one really quick that it's, I, I always feel like it's kind of cheating. So I try not to overuse it too much is guidance. And uh, that is a really nice little buff. <laughs> <laughs> you get a d4 and you get yeah, a d4 and you get a d4 the thing is it's a cantrip so you can do it every single ability check that you do you can just you know say a little prayer and throw in a d4 into your role i mean if your dm's cool with it of course um it, they might get a little annoyed of you just constantly doing it over and over again or your god might get a little annoyed at you yeah there's that too you never know <laughs> uh, mine thinks it's pretty cool and uh, every now and then when the, the DM says, well, what do you pray? I throw out a little prayer of like, you know, please let me, let me observe this person really well. And then I use it on my insight check. <laughs> I love it. Anything like that. Uh, what about you? What are some of the ones you like? Um, one of my absolute favorite ones, and this is, this is something I've used both in combat and out of combat, is minor illusion. Minor illusion is is really cool. It you can do sound or illusion, so it you don't you don't get the the benefits of both. You actually have to go a little higher level and go spell slot usage to get like the full the full package mm-hmm. of illusioning. Uh, but I've done some. I've been able to do some actually really cool things with minor illusion. Stuff like I'm going to recreate an exact copy of this person that we're chasing to show to the, the town guards Yep, in the palm of my hand. And I think it's, you can make it, it's uh, the size is like five cubic feet. 
or something like that That's is the, is the biggest you can, you can do it. Um, so yeah, I've done, done stuff like that. It's just like, here's what the dude looks like. There you go. Um, <clears throat> you can use it to, uh, make sound. I've used it in combat before to make like sounds of screaming or dying to try and distract guards or enemies of some sort, uh, which can be really interesting and usually always throws the DM off is just like, you're using minor illusion in combat. What are you doing? Um, so yeah, tons and tons of fun, different uses for minor illusion. Um, one of my, one of my prankster characters uses it to make bunny tails on people. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Actually. Cause why not? Uh, it's a minor illusion thing. Right. Uh, and then uh, another one I really like kind of in, in keeping with that is prestidigitation, which yes. is like the base level magic show yes. <laughs> for, for <laughs> D and D characters. It's, it's so, so versatile. You can use it to, to create like up to three little magical effects. I've used it to create like magic ball juggling. Uh, you can use it to clean yourself. Uh, or, or sully something, yourself. yeah, or dirty yourself. <laughs> you you can use it to um, make food taste better. You can use it to light small flames, campfires, candles, whatever, or put them out. And so it, it's an, an incredibly versatile, fun, mostly out of combat little little role play utility spell. Um, but you can do a lot of really fun stuff with it. Oh yeah. That's like, if you have access to that spell and you don't take it, you're missing out on a lot of versatility just overall. Uh, so much so that, uh, and we'll get to it in a little bit here, but that spell saved a town. Wow. Yeah. Good stuff. That's, that's impressive. And that's a cantrip, folks. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like I built something, I'm like, I have no idea how they're going to figure out how to stop this. Let's see what happens. <laughs> Turns out, press the digitation. One other really, really handy one, and you kind of mentioned it earlier. Um, and this kind of depends on how, um, I guess, how much of a stickler your, your DM is there's a lot of races with dark vision mm-hmm. and sometimes DMs will just kind of overlook the whole darkness thing and just like assume, Oh, I assume they got a torch or a lantern or something like that. Um, but sometimes DMs will actually stick with it and be like, okay, you have dark vision, you have dark vision, you're a human, you're blind in this cave. Mm-hmm. You can't see a thing. Uh, there's no light. Uh, so the cantrip light can be very useful for your characters that do not have dark vision. Uh, it lasts for an hour. It's not concentration and you can put it on basically anything. Oh yeah. In fact, even more so, uh, characters with dark vision light is also good because dark vision only lets you see in grayscale. So if you need to see colors for some reason, Hey, guess what? Light's going to really help out a lot with that. (laughs) Yep. Um, trying to think if there's there's any more that I I really like to use. Uh, oh, I can tell you, thaumaturgy Mage Hand. is a lot of fun. Oh, and thaumaturgy. Yeah, no, thaumaturgy both those, is great. Both those are good. It's like the cleric's version of prestidigitation, but not as good. Um, you you can use it to uh, you know like make change the the colors of flames. You can you know light candles. You can open up windows and doors that are unlocked. 
you make you know your voice boom out you can totally do the boom boom bargains like loud uh you know voice booming make like you know yeah gandalf that thing of of, uh, tremors and stuff yeah bunches of stuff that you can do with that too but again not as good as prestidigitation which let me tell you sometime about uh crappy fairy fire crappy fairy fire that's awesome um yeah, and then the other one I, w- I was mentioning was uh, Mage Hand. And I, I love Mage Hand because it feels like a cheat sometimes, but it basically <laughs> lets you touch things and do things from like 30 feet away, mm-hmm. which is super nice. Um, it can be very good, especially if you have like a uh, trap-happy DM that, that, can, that can be helpful. Like every other door is trapped. All right. Knock, knock, touch, touch, feel, feel with, with Mage Hand. Is there any, does it set anything off? Uh, Mage Hand floats the key over, click. Mage Hand pulls the door open. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> DMs, you can get around this by making things heavy, mm-hmm. and the Mage Hand can't do that. Sorry, players. It's only like, what, five pounds that I can lift? Yeah, like five or ten pounds. It's not, it's, it's not much. Um, but it is a super fun spell and can be really useful to help save you from uh, having to <laughs> having to have the the detrimental effects of of certain things. Yep, uh, I have a story about how it helped save a town. <laughs> oh, it it helped save the town too. Yep. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, let's let's jump over to, into our community content shout out real fast so that we can get to that story because I am I am very intrigued. Um, but our community content this week is called uh, Elminster's Guide to Magic, and so I, I thought this was appropriate since we were talking about spells and intro to spells. Uh, this is on this is a product on the DMs Guild. It's it's definitely a little more towards the the upper level of price on DMs Guild things. It's about fifteen bucks, um, but it has over three hundred and fifty new spells covering all schools and spellcasting classes, fifty new magic items, um, and all uh, lore and history and all sorts of stuff. Like hundred and eighty pages written by uh, some some fairly big people in the in the D and D community. Uh, spells that are converted from older editions and some brand new ones. If you're uh, a spellcaster and your DM allows it, it can really add some cool variety. And and all these have been play tested and for the most part should be fairly balanced. Oh, very cool. I am uh, quite interested in taking a look at that. Thank you very much for sharing. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have a link to that, of course, on dndiscussions.com in case you want to jump to it directly. I always like new spells. There's some fun ones in there. I ended up I ended up buying it. They just put out version two not too long ago, um, which you get if you if you bought it. And there's there's a lot of really fun fun spells that kind of flesh flesh things out quite a bit. Very cool. And if you're a fan of older editions. Uh, you might be able to find a spell that you were missing in fifth edition in there too. Cause they, they, like I said, they have done a lot of conversions. Good. All right, Ben. All right. Let's, <laughs> before we go, let's talk a little bit about what we've been up to in our games and why don't you go first? Because uh, I'm very excited to hear how your last DM session went. 
oh my gosh, it was so great and amazing. And I was so happy with my group and they all got DM inspiration by the end of it because everybody just was creative and fun and awesome. And it was great. So it's been a while since I played because, you know, work got insane and everything. So just kind of a really quick recap. Uh, Drow had taken over the town. We're basically using it to manufacture tons of weapons and everything. Uh, they, they found the last of the doppelgangers. They found out that there was some, something called the, the purple ingot protocol that was going to be used to wipe out the town and just erase all traces of them. Wow. So I, I came up with the whole, okay, there's just this purple ingot. They're throwing it in the forge and essentially it's going to absorb a whole ton of heat and magically just blow up. And there's like four giant forges around the town. So uh, I gave them a map of the town showed them where the forges were they're like great we're gonna split up and i'm like oh no i didn't design these encounters for that (laughs) so i'm just like okay and you know i did the whole dm like kind of hinting like so you're splitting up and going here and here and 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 i'm sorry who's going here and like multiple times kind of tossed out the you're splitting up (laughs) kind of thing but they did it i'm like okay we're gonna go with this and uh if it's like if it's going to be a TPK, I'll see what I can do to try to, you know, curb that back. So the idea is that these forges are, if the ingots in there, they're throwing up purple smoke and, uh, you know, the more smoke, the, the worse off it is and stuff like that. So first encounter is fine. It's just one stupid drow. Second encounter is fine. Just two stupid drow. And uh, the thing is, is so one group uh, used mage hand to pull the ingot out of the furnace and then uh, our warlock has an alchemy jug and dumps some water on it to you know kind of cool it off and everything um, the other group used blacksmith tools that she totally forgot she had in her equipment which folks look at your equipment and she Love used blacksmith tools to pull out the, the ingot and then the bard used prestidigitation to cool the ingot I'm just like that's amazing that's awesome um I had no idea that it had that effect too. Cause again, it, it does everything. So then the paladin and the bard get to the third encounter where I'm like, okay, this is where things are going to probably make a huge turn for the worse because this is technically their third encounter because the previous play session, they had a big fight and it was like, you know, stuff's got to happen. So it was a, a drow and two displacer beasts and they are getting their butts whooped. And I'm just like, this is going to be bad. So I had the one person with the highest passive perception make rolls every couple times. I was trying to get him to see where more smoke was coming out. Cause you know, logically you'd want to go to the one that has the most smoke because that's the one that's like, you know, would be the next to blow up or whatever. So the first time he does it, he gets a one and I'm just like, okay, we're going to keep this split up happening. By the time the group got to that, that third fight, had him roll again about three rounds in and he, he got like a 20 something. So I'm like, yes. So I gave him the out, the rest of the team, you know, went in, they finished that off by the time they got to the third forge. Um, there's fire everywhere. And this is when an Umber Hulk pops out of the ground being controlled by some drow. And I'm like, at this point they've been fighting for a while they have like, you know, low spells, everything like that. And they do a fantastic job of actually winning. Um, it got to the point where, cause I had it set up. I'm like, okay, 
on this forge, if it gets to this round and they don't take the time to pull the thing out, there's going to be, you know, repercussions. Things are going to start happening. So the forge has a minor explosion, blows up, destroys three buildings around it. Everybody takes damage because, you know, massive explosion. And they were almost done with the fight too. So I'm like, they almost got through the whole thing completely unscathed. But uh, ended up killing everything. Had some huge bad slide of hand rolls with mage hand till uh, our rogue came in because she's an arcane trickster and pulled it out. Saved the town. And my God, it was a great play session. I had so much fun with it. And the thing is, is I built these encounters in the whole forge and the ingot idea and everything. I did not create a way for them to, you know, easily figure out a thing to do. I didn't have like a, oh, well, here's a thing. This is, if you do this, this is the exact way to fix this. I just left it completely open. I'm like, let's see what happens. We'll see how they figure it out. And they did not disappoint. I've got some really clever people in my group and we all had a ton of fun. That's super awesome. Those are always, as a, as a DM and a player, those are always the, the most, uh, inspiring satisfying uh sessions to have when when all everything just comes together perfectly and you you have that sense of accomplishment because you figured something out yeah it, it was that's great. that's really good absolutely great uh what about you what, how have your sessions been going well i did my uh my player session last week last sunday um and it was it was really interesting because we we had finished the battle at the keep. The keep was ours. We went back into town. We were kind of uh, the four of us were have our own little chat thing. We were kind of conspiring behind the DM's back, and we were gonna kind of throw him a curveball and say we wanted to go to the this jail, and break out this dude we met earlier to be our steward for our new keep. Didn't quite go as planned, so we had to shelf that idea for a little bit. Um, but we ended up meeting one of the like higher up, uh, I guess, guilds kind of in, in the town we were at, uh, you know, the shadowy organization pretty okay. much that the, the, the man behind the scenes. And they were mad at us because we stole all the notices off the notice board because we decided we were just going to do everything. <laughs> Apparently, that's not how things worked in, in this town. Uh, so the biggest problem with our group, and it's not a problem. It's, it's a problem in these situations, but it's, it's super fun. Otherwise is we have this Druid. He's not the brightest tool, the, the brightest star in the sky, the sharpest tool in the shed, uh, sort of guy, very blunt, very direct. And so they kind of, you know, are manhandling us down to this, this kind of secret area where they're confronting us and being like, Hey, you screwed up. So we're going to give you a chance to, to repay your debt because you screwed up. Right. And this whole time they're like, he's, he's not super happy with how things are going. And so when the big, the big boss dude comes down, they're wanting everyone to look at him, but there's this minotaur dude and he and our druid are having this staring contest and they're, they're really angry at each other and he won't look at the, the orc dude and he comes over to force him to look, turns into a giant bear because why wouldn't he? Oh, but of course. unfortunately still fails his strength check and it, it starts escalating horribly 
where he starts attacking because that's what his character would do. And so the rest of us are just kind of like, what do we do? We, these guys are obviously as, as the DM had described. And it's one of the things I talked about earlier. There are higher level people than us in this town. Oh yeah. (laughs) And these are some of them. There were, there were many hints. Uh, And so they uh, ended up not killing him, but basically unconscious him to within an inch of his life. And there was an assassin character and he rolled really high on the damage. He almost one shot him. He was within four hit points of actually doing like a double your health insta kill. So didn't quite get there, but it was, it was very, I'm it, 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 it'll be a really interesting, like character building moment, potentially if he, if he learns from it or if his character learns from it as a little bit of a humble pie type experience. Oh, so yeah. that should be, it should be really interesting to see, to see how that plays out. But um, so we've, we've got a, we've got a job now. So we're going to be starting the next session with the job that we have to do to repay for messing their system up. <laughs> so, so that's fun. And then I've got my uh, DMing session for my game tomorrow. Ooh. And I have no idea what's going to happen <laughs> in a good way, in a good way. It's the, the there's two, there's like two kind of no idea what I'm, what's going to happen. The first is there's just nothing for the characters to do. No current hooks or anything. So I have no idea what's going to happen. And that's usually not a good kind. Uh, or there's the, the players could do five different things. And I have no idea what's going to happen. And that is the scenario I am in, which makes prep uh, difficult to say the least. So I have, I have prepped a lot in generalities. Mm-hmm. And so I, I my, may be having to flex my improv muscles quite a bit tomorrow night. So we shall, <laughs> we shall see how it goes. I, I will report back next time. I have two very easy ways to fix this. I'm, I'm, I'm all yours. Easy way. Number one woman comes screaming. Oh no, my son's been kidnapped. There you go. Boom. There's your hook. That's not all. It's much fun though. Easy trick. Number two shopping session. <laughs> well, they just had a shopping session. Oh no. Yeah, I know. Right. It was about half <laughs> or a quarter, quarter of last session was was the old shopping session and that actually is what got them into part of the predicament that they're in now because they split the party oh well one went to go two of them went to go cleanse a cursed bow that turned out to be a much bigger deal than they originally thought it was going to be yep yep and then the other two just went to the blacksmith okay so uh yeah that was that was fun uh so we'll see we'll see how it goes uh it'll It'll be interesting. I, I should. I, I probably will have uh, at least, at the very least, an interesting story for next next recording. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to it because it, it sounds like, I mean, when when the entire world is out there and ready for your players, and you just kind of have some small ideas that could eventually turn into something big on a whim. That's the best. Yeah. It. I. It's at the very least. 
uh, it, it feels good for me to know that my players have the freedom to kind of do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Makes it a little harder for me, but yeah. hopefully it, it's more fun for them. Very so, true. Very we'll, true. We'll see how it goes. Uh, but that's, that's going to be it for this episode. Uh, ben, why don't you tell everybody where they can find us? All right. Well, uh, easiest place to find every single thing that we have ever done is on dndiscussions.com. That's right. It is our website. They have links to our community uh, focuses that we've been putting out there, um, as well as every single episode. If for some reason you don't want to go to the website and you do like listening to the show, and this is the first one you've heard, you can check us out on iTunes, Google Play, and uh, should be pretty much everywhere that you can find podcasts because that's how podcasting works. Uh, other than that, of course, if you want to tell us about your stories or at least some of your favorite cantrips, you can always email us. Send those to dndiscussions at gmail.com. Or if you want to reach us a lot faster and get a response much, much sooner than that, you can always check us out on Twitter. We are at dndiscussions. Now, Ryan, if people are looking for you on Twitter, where might they be able to find you? You can find me directly at TBKZord. If you want to talk anything gaming or d and I'm always down. Definitely. If you're looking for me, I am at Ben Bumhofer and uh, pretty much down to chat too. We like talking about the stuff that we uh, you know, totally geek out about, whether it's Dungeons and Dragons, gaming, any other fine, kind of fun stuff. Uh, heck, if you have pictures of corgis, send them to me. I Ooh. will love them. I'm going to do that tomorrow. All right. <laughs> well that is it for our show guys thanks so much for listening we we really appreciate it um like like ben said if as always if you have feedback send it over to us we'd love to hear from you we'd love to hear what kind of topics you're interested in uh so that we can cover those things as well or until next time what tell us your favorite dragon yeah tell us tell us your dragon stories yeah. i'm always up for more uh, dragon stories i don't know what it is it's just they're interesting they're usually so interesting and how how people run them and the different things and if you want some really good dragon stories and you haven't seen it yet uh campaign one of critical role oh yes has some fantastic dragon stories and in fact one arc centralizing around just dragons yes and one of the most insane dragon fights that you will ever find yeah very true So check that out and we will see you guys next time. Be good to each other and goodbye.